Welcome to Business Leaders Podcast. We're here today with Kent Kelly in Meeting the Challenges office in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm your host, Bob Rourke, and today on Business Leaders Podcast, where we interview some of the best and brightest business owners and entrepreneurs in and around the state of Colorado. We talk about the ins and outs of running a business and being an entrepreneur, insights shared by top business leaders and entrepreneurs in the state of Colorado. We talk about what to do and, as importantly, what not to do about growing, running, or starting a business. On the show today, we're fortunate to have as our guest, Mr. Kent Kelly. He's the president of Meeting the Challenge, a Colorado Springs-based company with 27 years of experience working on ADA accessibility consulting initiatives for both public and private entities since the inception of the ADA. Kent, it's a pleasure to have you on Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Bob. Super. Well, I tell you what, before we get started, for the folks who go, ADA, what is ADA? Well, it's not the American Dental Association. Actually, it's uh, <laughs> the Americans with Disabilities Act, which okay. uh, was uh, signed into law back in 1991 and then became enforceable in 1992. So for, you know, for the average uh, listener, business person, what would be the evidence of seeing ADA? It's a disability rights law, so it's, it's not an accessibility law. It's not a wheelchair law. Some people say it's not a building code. It's all about requiring non-discrimination against people with disabilities. So parking spaces, adequate space for them to get out, ramps, you know, restrooms done properly, and the gamut of things. And for me, when I was looking at your website, it actually said ADA accessibility on websites. Yes, that's the big topic du jour. Yeah. Uh, websites have to be accessible, and that's a pretty complicated uh, concept. There are no standards right now. The, the Department of Justice has been working on them and has tabled them because of, of the complexity of it. But essentially what it means is we can go to the, a website. We can order off of Amazon or whatever. We can do surveys, do just about anything, you know, pay a bill, um, pay your taxes or whatever. That has to be accessible for people with disabilities too. For instance, how does a blind person access a website? You know, if you really think about it, it would be nearly impossible unless the website was accessible because they're going to use the screen reader. This is going to tell you everything that's there and how to navigate through the site. So what we found there are some major lawsuits. Even though we don't have standards that are enforceable, the DOJ is still um, acting and enforcing some best practices for websites, Target, Netflix, sure. Winn-Dixie, a lot of sites, a lot of uh, universities, Harvard, all have been... Um, under settlement agreements to get their websites accessible. You know, I, I, I went a little off the rail to start with That's there. That's okay. That's okay. So, you know, the good part is we can go any way we want. I tell you what, take us a little bit through your career before coming to MTC and how you came across the company. You know, that's that's a good question because I've tried a lot of different avenues. And uh, what I did, first of all, I was a commercial lender for the largest bank in Colorado Springs right out of college. And I thought I was a big shot, you know. And... Uh, that actually uh, was a really good trading ground for how to interact with people, um, my clients that were my commercial loan customers and all. And there were some pretty large transactions, you know, in the millions of dollars. But over time, it just wasn't appealing. You know, you get kind of tired of looking at financial statements and, and doing things of that sort. So I migrated away from the banking industry for a number of reasons. They were being scrutinized by the feds back then. Um, there were a lot of bank consolidations and crashes. So I decided, too stressful, get out. So then after that, I became a real estate broker, which was like jumping right into the fire. <laughs> you learn a lot about people as a real estate broker. And I worked with residential and commercial properties. But um, there's something to be said about pure commissions, things of that sort, and the chase of the dollar. You have to almost compromise your ethics and, and things of that sort to make as much money as you possibly can. And so that really got old in a hurry. I did that for about eight years. So I decided to get back into the financial arena and I became the CFO of a publishing company here in town. And that was a lot of fun because, you know, I was way behind on technology and, and uh, this company had a very successful website that was getting millions of page views every month because it was so successful. In fact, they later sold their website um, as a um, forum for $10 million to American Express. Wow. 
after I left, unfortunately. But uh, so I did that for a while, and there were some circumstances that caused me to retire from that position, and uh, that lasted a couple of years. And then I started a construction company because that's when I first started through my personal experience to realize that for a person with a disability, day-to-day routines can take hours where it takes us minutes. So we started doing universal design construction, renovation of commercial and residential properties. And um, that was pretty rewarding, but it wasn't just quite there. And then what sealed the fate of that career was the crash of uh, 2008. So we closed the company down, um, didn't have anything to show for all of our hard work and effort. So I was kind of, you know, languishing right then and there. I wanted to do something that would be, a, you know, make a difference with people because I was getting to that point where I didn't really want to chase money anymore. And I didn't want to just be in that big corporate world. I wanted to be more in a, in a company that was entrepreneurial. So I came across this opportunity, and um, this was back when it was just the Rocky Mountain ADA Center, and we can get more into that in a little bit. But they didn't really have a way to use all of that knowledge that they've learned over 20 years and all that expertise and the, uh, the ability to decipher this very complex law, the connections with the DOJ. They just used it for the Rocky Mountain ADA Center, and they thought, well, you know, that's got to be worth some value. And the way to implement the ADA is through consulting projects. So they brought me in as the director of consulting services. And I remember one of the founders said, not with me around, he'll never make more than $100,000 a year. And, you know, it's not about the money, but you have to have some sustainability for, mm-hmm. for a project to work. Well, here we are seven years later. And what statistic that I'm most proud of is that we work with a lot of state and local governments across the country. We've helped improve accessibility in communities with a population of 23 million people. So that, you know, is a lot better than selling real estate or being a CFO or a banker or whatever. You know, I really feel like we're making a difference with that. So that's probably what I'm most proud of is because anybody could become disabled at any point in time. It's the largest minority in the country. They have spending power of $175 million, but they're often ignored or people believe that it's an unfunded mandate. You know, and the same guy that's out there complaining about having to spend money to make his city or, or business successful, he could be in that same situation at any time. So I think what it all boils down to is you gotta be compassionate. Plus I'm getting older too, so you gotta be compassionate, care about people and do what's right. And if you can't do it for that, then at least mitigate the risk and, and uh, try to avoid a loss or something. You know, I, I think about your description of what you did before MTC, you know, construction and CFO. And, <laughs> and it sounds like you were doing your pre-course work before you came here. You know, and it's funny. Everybody says that there's this grand plan for you. And it, it did kind of work out that way. And the way my life changed over those years, it, it just uh, was perfect. And when they hired me, they I think they interviewed me maybe 15 or 20 times. I don't think they were quite sure about this venture. When they finally hired me, I tell everybody to this day, it's the best darn job I've ever had. And it's not about the money. It's about seeing the communities become more accessible and seeing the light come on in the city council member or the county commissioner's brain where he realizes that it truly is important. It's not just about obeying the law or an unfunded mandate. It's about being non-discriminatory. Well, you know, it, it, for me, my, my one opportunity to be disabled is I kicked a fat kid one time playing soccer. <laughs> Broke my leg over his. Oh, boy. And so I was, you know, on crutches for a very long time. And, you know, that's a very simple, short-term, you know, inconvenience. But it makes you appreciate being able to get through a door. Does, doesn't it? Especially doors and series and stuff like getting that. In the, getting in the shower. Just, I mean, just oh, motivating yeah, around. And it yeah. just takes more time and everything. You know, and I, and I, you know, for here, we're in a military town. I'm prior military. And, you know, and I look at our soldiers coming back, right. you know, and many of the disabled soldiers, you know, and for them, that's a, a new occurrence. And mm-hmm. then you have the folks dealing with disability from day one. Right. You know, and everybody's got an opportunity. 
you know, or should have an equal opportunity. And so I'm on board with the ADA. And at least now as an Army guy, I'm not thinking of air defense artillery, which is what I thought first about ADA. And so that's Mm -hmm. what we referred to. So, you know, when we think about this, you know, and and folks are going, so MTC is meeting the challenge. We'll just call it MTC. What are they typically hired up for? Well, that's a great question. You know, as you can see, I have this volume of notes, and we don't certainly don't have time to do that. But I can touch on some of the highlights. Probably the most um, common project that we do is to help cities and counties and metropolitan districts comply with the ADA. And that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's the right thing to do. We don't want to discriminate against anybody. Second of all, it's a law, and it's an enforceable law that the DOJ can really kind of make your life miserable if they decide that they want to come hang out in your city for a little while and find out what's wrong with it. And then also it's a risk management thing, and it's just being a good steward for that community. Um, Some of the negatives are if you don't have a self-evaluation and a transition plan, and that's kind of a, a buzzword that a lot of listeners probably don't know what that is, but Essentially, what it means is that everything that that city provides its citizens, every program, service, whatever, is accessible. Website has to be accessible. It's not a building code, and I have to really emphasize that. Accessibility or accessible facilities do play a very big role in it, but it's also effective communication, how you um, accommodate people at a, a council or a commissioner's meeting that are deaf, you know, and or what happens if um, a police officer pulls over or arrests a person that's deaf and he doesn't understand what the rules and laws are for effective communication. So, I mean, it, it is about facility accessibility, but it's such a wider topic than that. And that's, you know, that's predominantly what we do because if you don't have the required documents, the self-evaluation and transition plan, you could possibly enter into a settlement agreement with the Department of Justice which means they're going to be looking over your backs and having you do photo verification reports for five or six or 10 years. And it also means that they could fine you $55,000 for the first occurrence and then $110,000 for every other occurrence after that. And I would say the average community that we see in Colorado or just about anywhere, they have a minimum of four or 5,000 violations of the ADA. And it's not because they don't care. It's just because they don't know. I mean, it's a very complicated law. And so when you have that, it adds up. And the last thing people want are U.S. attorneys running their their communities. Does the department just have a fairly active enforcement arm? Yes, they do. Um, For state and local government, it's called Project Civic Access. And I always kind of say, you know, to these people that, you know, these city attorneys, managers, commissioners, if you see a helicopter, black helicopter up there with a bunch of guys rappelling in, get ready for, for a, a settlement <laughs> agreement. And if anybody from the DOJ is listening, I'm just kidding. But uh, we have a very good relationship with them. But if you don't have that, then they'll make you get one in a very short amount of time. And not only that, if you have, for instance, inaccessible public rights of way with no curb cuts or whatever, they're not going to give you any time to really fix that. They're going to say three years. We don't care how much it's going to cost. And in one community, that was $44 million just for curb ramps. We, we see evidence of that here in Colorado Springs. Yes. Pretty much every intersection where you'll see curb work and, you know, what are they doing? And then you'll see this ramp being built in. Right. And, you know, it's wide and it's nice and, and you kind of go, ah, there's, there's the visual evidence for me daily that that's going on here in Colorado Springs. That's true. And, you know, there's another reason for that, too. The uh, Federal Highway Administration will not fund your community unless you have a public right-of-way self-evaluation and transition plan. So we've seen communities where they've literally had to shut down roads because they couldn't get funding for it and they couldn't do anything until they had those documents. So, you know, and thinking about everything's money. That's true. So on the funding, so when when a community goes in to be compliant, Mm -hmm. where's the funding come from? The funding comes from the city or county's revenue stream. There are funding sources. There are block grants available through HUD and everything. But the majority of it comes through the city or uh, county's coffers. Okay. So it's just part of their budget. Yes. Well, and then that's one of the reasons you don't want the DOJ looking over your shoulder because you're used to a 3 or $4 million budget for repairs or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's 20 or $30 million 
And we see that time and time again, it's really difficult to raise your taxes up that high to, uh, to reach those milestones. That's kind of a mental picture you know, for the listener that is the size and shape of the issue. So who typically reaches out to you guys and, and what do they ask you to do and then what do you do for them? That's a good question too. Let me just kind of just briefly touch on what the, the mission and role of the Rocky Mountain ADA Center is because okay. that dovetails with who reaches out to me and, or the business to uh, have us work for them. The ADA Center, the Rocky Mountain ADA Center provides training and dissemination of information and technical assistance. That's where we learned everything about the law because we had to answer these questions on a daily basis. You know, 27 years ago, when that first phone call came in, I guarantee you we didn't know the answer to it. And so if we had to, we would call the Department of Justice or the Access Board to go. So what we try to do is we try to establish relationships because the first inclination is that we're the ADA police and that we're going to make their lives miserable and we're going to reveal all of this to the public, which is required by law, that they have all this wrong and they're going to be sued by citizens, the DOJ or whatever. That's not the case. The case is it's the other instance. We're helping them manage the risk against lawsuits and comply with the law. So what we try to teach them is that it's very important to have those documents to comply with the ADA, you know, just to, to comply with the law so they don't have to have the risk and, you know, disgruntled citizens. You know, I, I think about as a community, so if you didn't know, there's a method to learn, there's a method to get a plan, mm-hmm. and there's a method to start budgeting and in getting toward compliance. What's the sense of humor on the DOJ if you've got your plan in place and you're, you're making efforts toward getting compliant, but just for budget reasons, you can't get her done in a year, or just practically you can't. The DOJ is not unreasonable, and they are very sensitive to that because it happens in every single community because of the magnitude and the, the complexity of complying with the law. So what happens, actually there are two avenues. A lot of times a, a entity will come to me because the DOJ is auditing their community and there is ultimately going to be a settlement agreement. So since we do have a good rapport with the Department of Justice, they they have uh, vetted our trainings as the standard for them. They use our curriculum. They, you know, they're reasonable. So we try to negotiate. And we're in the middle of one of these projects, this very instance that I can't disclose, of course, because of a non-disclosure agreement. And as we explain that and teach um, the DOJ, what the circumstances are in that community, we've been able to increase those milestones from a frightening three years to five, maybe six years. But let's say you get six years down the road, you're making progress. DOJ, you have to, you know, you have to stay in contact and provide reports. They're more than likely going to be um, understanding and give you some, some extra time. What they don't like is if you just say, here's what we're going to do. We have the transition plan and you don't do anything. Well, that would be everybody. Right. Yeah, clean up your room. Uh, That's right. There's no evidence. <laughs> I've seen that where, you know. But, you know, and I think about, you know, for, for, for the city managers and stuff as they do the budgets and then whoever's in charge of doing the road construction or the new buildings and so on, if they have the plan in place, then we go to have the building or construction bid, then they can fold that into their plan. Right. You know, so they're addressing future projects in their plan. That's exactly right. And, and what we'll see more often than not is if you have a plan, even if it has milestones that are kind of outside the accepted guidelines for the DOJ, they'll, they'll be um, complacent with that and they won't enforce an action or whatever. They might check in from time to time. But if you've got that document, you're going to have access to, you know, Federal Highway Administration funds, Department of Transportation funds, block grants, and you're going to keep the DOJ off your back. So, you know, for, for sake of illustration, I'm the ABC community in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. or not Colorado Springs, but in Colorado. Right. And for sake of argument, I don't have any knowledge or any implementation of any compliance. So I make a phone call to you guys. What should I expect to see happen from you guys? And that's not uncommon at all. I would say probably less than 40%, 30% of the nation's cities, counties, and uh, towns have transition plans. So that's a very common occurrence. They also don't have ADA coordinators, which are required by the law. 
And we see that all the time. It's a, it's a collaboration. We're there to teach you and be your partner, teach you how to comply, teach you how to negotiate with the Department of Justice if you have to, and get a plan, a reasonable implementation plan so that you can achieve the objectives of the law and also make your community more accessible and keep everything under control without having to worry about short milestones to get a lot of stuff done. Is there, I have no idea as a community what range of pricing that could be just to get an estimate of the size and shape of the problem. Well, if you're talking about self-evaluation and transition plans, you know, I, I am reluctant to come out and say what the average project costs because each one is unique and different. And what we've what we've really tried to do over the years is become more efficient with technology. Mm-hmm. We find that um, a lot of organizations and consultants don't use that technology. We took a quick break. Both of us have a cold. And yes. so we're fighting through this mess. But we were talking about for the individual or, or entity out there, and they're going, man, I don't know if I should call or not. What's your advice to that entity? I would say call. Call the Rocky Mountain ADA Center because that is free. It's funded. If you got a question about accessibility or whatever, that's what we're here for in our six-day region. That is. What, what are the states that's covered in that? Uh, Utah, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Colorado. What number? 800-864-4264. Cool. So the person listening out there, if you're in those states. You call that number. Call that number. And at least you can say, I'm aware. Mm-hmm. I made the phone call. Here's who I talked to. I've got the size and shape of where I'm at. And then the follow-on when they reach out to you guys. And the follow-on is really geared to what that particular community is and can afford, really. A lot of times, we'll do phased projects. For instance, there was a Department of Human Services for an entire state, and they said, you know, we only have $5,000. What can you do for that? And we said, we can do a darn lot for that. We can take a look at all your policies, and you can get started on that because that's the most important part. Your programs have to be accessible. We can dig into all the offices at some point in time, or if you choose not to, that's fine too. But what we try to do is structure that because it's important to us for a couple reasons. You know, our mission is creating a more accessible world for everyone. So we take that to heart, and we understand that budgets are tight, and it's sometimes difficult. So what we'll do is we'll work with the community if they engage us. There's, we'll talk more about how we um, actually obtain business. And we figure out really what their objectives are, what the scope is, and how we can accomplish the highest level quality project for them that's reasonable and that they can certainly afford to do. Whether we phase it over a couple of years or we have their staff help, you know, that's a great training ground for the facilities manager to go out there and hold the tape for us, for our data collectors. That's like ADA crash course boot camp right there. They can take that knowledge back to their community and not only save money, but learn a lot, learn a lot about the ADA and how that you works. Know, and, and I think for the community, you know, you're, you're working for the benefit of, of your community and says, so we're good citizens. We're interested in, in helping the folks that are not as fortunate, perhaps, or, you know, or, or don't have a current disability. And, you know, and I say right. current disability, we all live long enough. I think we'll all have one That's or another. That's exactly right. And, and so you, my, my comment or thought is always, this is at least you've done something and you're starting somewhere. It's that first step that's the most difficult because, you know, they're apprehensive. They don't know how much it's going to cost. They don't know what the risk is or whatever. And that's what we're here for. We just want to be able to explain to them how important the law is and what can happen if they don't comply with it and make it something that's reasonable. Break it down into manageable tasks and projects that they can accomplish. If they make progress you know, they're often pleasantly surprised at how much of the findings that we uncover could be as easy as adjusting a door closer or or something like that or making a, a policy or program more. You know, we, we were talking about how to get a hold of the Rocky Mountain ADA. Yes. But we didn't talk about how to get a hold of MTC. You can call that same number, but um, the number that I would prefer is one that's direct. They can use the 800 number if they want, but 719 444 0252 is one way, and the best number 
is my number, 719-433-7649. And they can find you on social media where? LinkedIn and Facebook. Okay. And then your website is what? mtc-inc.com. Perfect. mtc-inc.com. Cool. Well, let's segue here just a little bit. Let's talk about some of the case studies. We talked a little bit before we got on the show. Okay. So that would kind of highlight some of the things that you've done. Sure. I think what really got us off the ground, what um, taught us that what we know and what our knowledge was, that it had value, was the first uh, accessibility project that we embarked on. We were um, hired by Kaiser Permanente to uh, go through every single one of their medical facilities. I think it was 23 million square feet that we looked at over time. And, you know, we were just like, wow, we got a job. How do, what do we do now? You know, how do, how do we capture all that <laughs> We've data? We've succeeded. Yeah. And we were, you know, I mean, it was pretty terrifying. And they said, we want 23 million square feet audited. And we want to know what the priorities are. And if you got some probable opinions of cost, throw those in too. So we threw our uh, um, staff out there. They worked long hours. We were using paper to collect data back then. Times have really changed. And uh, we did it. And we impressed Kaiser so much that uh, they now engage us. They don't build one office building or renovate any space without us reviewing the plans. It's and then walking through afterwards because they realize that they, you know, their architects and architects in the community don't necessarily understand the law like we do. And you know what's funny? We'll go through and they'll build a $10 million um, medical office building. We go through every step of the way, the schematic design, the parking lot. We go through the phases of the plans and we get them perfect. You know, that, that, that reminds me of that old action. Yeah. What does it measure twice, cut once? Yes, exactly. I learned that in construction too. <laughs> but they'll get this big, beautiful building up and then they'll say, hey, can you take a look at it and see if it's successful? And not one of them ever is perfect. And the beauty of that is, is that the way they structure their contracts, that becomes a punch list that the contractor has to cover. We worked on one project. They were getting ready to, it was a hotel. They are getting ready to install, I would say, probably a million dollars worth of light switches at the wrong height. And uh, and they weren't reading our plans correctly. So the, the chief electrician had the wherewithal to call us. And he said, you know, I'm looking at our, plans and you say it has to be this height and they're saying it has to be this height and they were able to save probably two three hundred thousand dollars worth of change orders and, and punch list items just on that one little thing alone and so so that that would be a, a kaiser permanente you know group right what, what other variety of projects have you worked on well we've worked with a lot of counties and things of that sort one of the really neat projects that we worked on because first of all it was really probably the furthest uh, we've been from our office ever the state of georgia the department of natural resources hired us to um, audit their 123 state parks and first of all these guys you know they hadn't been to the south much when the first data collector almost stepped on a copperhead out there they're like uh, wow this is exciting did so, you have to bring any interpreters with you uh, we did, actually. <laughs> but, you know, when they all came back, they all had Southern accents. Y'all, absolutely. <laughs> and they all wanted to eat a Bojangles. <laughs> but that was a great project because they had the confidence in us. We competed with a bunch of other companies um, to go in there and actually change. They were very focused on accessibility. And they were so proud of their new um, bathrooms that they installed in their state parks, and they got it wrong. They spent a lot of money. We see that all the time. We'll see a community that builds miles of sidewalks that are wrong. Colorado Springs, a new intersection, very close, brand new. It's wrong. And that's, you know. You know and, and you think about that. I, I just think about that on a planning phase. You know, you go, you try to push your best foot forward. Right. You think you're doing it right. And then you look at that and you go, are you kidding that's what's heartbreaking to me. They spend all this money because they're doing the right thing, and then it's wrong because they either didn't have the architects that um, understood the law or the contractor, his tolerances were out. That's the worst part of my job is having to say, you know, you guys are really trying hard. You did a great job, but 
You're going to have to tear all that out. You, you know, know it, there's one distinction that, that struck me. You know, we're talking about AD, you know, ADA for Colorado or this area, Rocky Mountain, mm-hmm. six states, and this, that, and the other, and yet you guys are in Georgia. So the ADA serves the six states, but you guys are nationwide, right? Yes, we are. Okay. The ADA, uh, Rocky Mountain ADA Center, will only answer technical assistance and do trainings, and all. they're limited to that six-state region. But we took that knowledge and went nationwide, as ZZ Top would say. <laughs> but um, the reason being is because part of it is we know the law, and the other part is we know how to manage data. When we have... 10,000, 15,000 lines or records with maybe individually another 20 elements within that one record, you're talking about massive databases. And if you have a checklist, that's going to be five, 6,000 pages. If you got five, 6,000 pages of a PDF that you can't really use that data to work with you, that's going to be collecting dust on your shelf and you're Never going to be able to get that first foot going forward to get the, the data, not errors. intel, right? That's so, right. So, you know, I, I'm I'm that massive organization. You've looked at all my parks, mm-hmm. and I've got this doorstop that you bring in for me, six thousand pages, right? How do you take and help point me? Well, we don't provide the doorstop. We provide a living, breathing. Um, Compliance management plan, a transition plan database, which means you can cut and slice that data. For instance, let's say this month we're going to work on signs. And signs are always a big problem. You take that database and you turn on the right switches and everything, it's going to show you all the signs that need to be changed, where the facilities are, and exactly where the location is, and a photograph showing what's wrong. And not only that, it's got the requirements that say, that sign's wrong. This is how you have to fix it to be right. So they just dump that into a, um, a RFP or a request for a proposal and then get their contractors to bid realistic numbers because they have that data. For a compliant project. Right. And it's, you know, a uh, sign is a really uh, easy example. But let's say you only have $10,000 to work on stuff this month. We show you what has the highest priority and what's the easiest thing to fix. Get out there and adjust the door openers or whatever, and uh, or move the trash cans away from the elevator buttons and all, and that shows real progress for the DOJ, and it's it's very inexpensive. You know, it's it's funny, and that you know you think about simple things. I wouldn't have thought about the trash can. I know, isn't that? It's you know, and and yeah, I have, yeah, I don't plan on breaking my leg anytime soon. Yes, refresh my memory exactly. So, you know. So we've talked about parks. Mm-hmm. We talked about Kaiser Permanente. Yes. Do you have a favorite one that you did? Yes, I do, actually, because uh, not only was it a, uh, a very big project, it was uh, it wound up being $600 million, but it was the uh, South Terminal uh, Redevelopment Project at DIA, which is now DEN, by the way. That's not DIA anymore. But uh, that was fantastic because not only did we get to interact with these really well-known architects, but the largest and most successful architect in the world hired us to be their accessibility consultant because they had that confidence in us. And we went through every bit. That was the hotel that almost made a mistake on the, the light switches. We went through every bit of that. And it was great. I got to meet Mayor Hancock and go to the ribbon cutting ceremony. I'm just country boy. And here I am sitting in the front row and, uh, it was really rewarding to see that they really were paying attention. That was important. That's a very successful airport. And Gensler had the faith and confidence in us. And we remain Gensler's uh, accessibility consultant for a variety of projects. We train their architects. They're a great bunch of people. We'll go up there and do lunch and learns and things of that sort. And uh, that was very rewarding. And on the other side of that... Hopefully I can talk about this. There is a new project going on at the the Denver airport, but we're going to be the accessibility consultants for a very well-known architect out of Spain. And uh, here we go again. It's going to be great. You know, I I think about, so, so if I'm an architect firm, right, and I've got a project coming up and one of the key components of the project is the accessibility issues. Yes. So, you know, what does that look like? Do they, do they, reach out to you guys and and bring you on board as part of the bid? Or how does that work between you and an architectural firm? That's a great question. You know what a lot of them do? Maybe not so much anymore. A lot of them think that they've got it figured out and they don't need a 
accessibility consultant. So they'll go out there, and engineers too, they'll go out there and do a project that, uh, without an accessibility consultant that understands the, the very fine details. Gensler didn't hire us because they don't know what to do with the Americans with Disabilities Act. They do. They know accessibility. They get it right. But there's strange stuff like on the train platform, the truncated domes. You know, we had to go upstairs to the access board to try to figure that out. They just don't want to mess with that. I mean, that's too much time and money and effort to pay an architect to do that. So they hire us and they know that we're going to get it right. And they're not going to get sued or anything else down the road because, it, you know, it's not compliant. So we just uh, develop a lot of relationships with them. And what's really rewarding to me is over time, these architects are learning and understanding. They want to do the cool, creative stuff. Leave the bathrooms, grab bars, and doorknobs, and all that stuff to us, you know. We'll get out there, make sure it's right, and we'll have a good time helping them out. You know, we've talked about accessibility, and we've talked about some of the, the case studies that you worked on. You know, and, and for some of the folks out there going, well, why is this even important? You know, I hear that time and time again, but everybody knows a person with a disability. And like I said, we're not getting any younger. The reason it's important is because, I mean, if it's your mother or your wife or your grandmother that's in a wheelchair, that's important for them to get around and have the highest um, quality of life that anyone should expect. It's important because... We've evolved into a, a compassionate um, country that really wants to not discriminate about that. We, we think about many of us have this prototypical thought process about a person with a disability. Mm -hmm. On any given weekday or weekend when there's a professional athlete hauled off the field with an ACL tear or a broken leg or any of that, he's a disabled person or she's a disabled person That's right. until they're healthy again. And you see them post-show, post-event, and they're on crutches or they're, you know, they're not 100%. True. And, then, you know, and so I think about, you know, in, in my mind, you know, as you, you look at how we characterize disability, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about my assistant in my office at CrossFit fell off something and blew an ACL. And she was on crutches and she wasn't 100%, right. you know, until she went through rehab. So I think it's... You know, no one really appreciates it until it happens to them. Well, that's true. And you've been on crutches. You know what it's like to have a hard time getting around. But, you know, there are other aspects, too. There are hidden disabilities that a lot of people don't even think about. That You know, there are those classes of what are considered to be d disabilities. And a lot of people think that the ADA is a wheelchair law. You know, it's all about physical accessibility. There's so much more that goes into it. Schools. Like I said, hidden disabilities, service animals, all that stuff. Well, you know, anytime you see a, you know, the favorite thing, in, you know, in the hurricane season is you'll see the, you know, the weather guy standing up there and next to him is this person signing like mad. Right. And some of them are pretty animated, you know, and you kind of go, you know, in years ago as a kid, never saw that. Right. Now you see it. You never saw any person with a disability that was an anchor man or whatever. And that's. You know, that's the success of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It lets us know we're all real people, you know, no matter what circumstance that we're in. And if sign language is the way that you communicate and it's it's important or 911, I mean, it's just, it's really broad reaching. And we have to understand that it's it's not unreasonable to expect that. It's not an entitlement. It's, it's a way of life. Well, you know, I, you know, I think about I, I'm getting older. And mm -hmm. as I get older, I, I get told things about my hearing from my wife. What? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just no money. I'm just tone deaf in the spouse range. I'm you the know, same way. You know, and, <laughs> yes. and, you know, the eyesight, I'm convinced, you know, the reason phones are getting bigger so I can see the numbers and, and dial. So true. But, you know, if you think about it as you're going through an airport and, you know, you're listening close for your flight. And if your hearing is not real good, the chance of you missing or not catching your flight, you know, if you can't read the sign. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, you think about the common application as the population ages, right? you know, and we're all out there longer, you know, and I think that, it, it, you know, if people don't understand that it's important, you know, just they will you, someday. They're, they're <laughs> going to get an inkling somewhere in there. They are. You know, so, you know, the, the fun part about it, I think, is it's clear that you're passionate and convinced about it. You know, what are the typical misconceptions that 
people either in in you know the government or county space or in the business space have about what it is that you do? Uh, the misconceptions are that it's an unfunded mandate or whatever, or it's going to be impossible to comply with the ADA. Uh, there will be no way that they could ever afford to budget it, that it's a risk that they don't want to unveil, that they don't want their community to be aware of the, the um, inaccessibility of their programs and services when it's not all about that at all because the people with disabilities are already aware of that. The misconception is, is that it's impossible to do. It's going to cost millions of dollars to have a consultant come in and find it out that um, if they just hunker down, and don't say anything, the DOJ is not going to come around eventually, sooner or later. Or the highway administration is going to continue to fund their projects, even though they don't have a transition plan. So I guess the misconception that keeps people from complying is the worst one, because it's a law, first of all. That's how you stay out of a lawsuit. You comply with the ADA. And it's not going to change. It's not going to go away. And you just got to figure out like we have over the years, how to make your community accessible. You know, we talked a little bit about the cost. And the cost, just to <clears throat> kind of get a clue, is not high. And no. then you talk about the cost of a fine, which was many times higher. True. The worst cost is the psychological cost of having the Department of Justice on your conference call once a month requiring photo documentation, verification that you're really fixing what you want, and that they're going to be watching you for six years. I guess it's like probably being on probation or something. You know, it's just not only that, it's the visibility of this project because it's always published. Um, the city council members feel vulnerable or the commissioners or whatever. And the community, you know, thinks that it's uh, a disservice because they're under a settlement agreement because they didn't comply. You know, I, I think the issue that, that strikes, it's the right thing to do. That's right. You know, if, if you want to look at somebody and how they behave, look how they treat those that aren't as fortunate or as capable. So I true. I mean, that to me is, is important. Um, you know, for, for the folks that are out there going, so who is your typical profile of a customer? So we've talked about parks, HMOs, yes. counties. Is there somebody that, you know, airports? Airports, um, businesses, restaurants, hotels, hospitality, the Federal Transportation Administration, we do work for them. Um, even the Department of Justice, we were involved as a, a consultant for a landmark settlement agreement um, against a construction company. $10 million uh, hit on that. They had to establish a $10 million fund to go and fix their non-compliant multifamily housing communities. We visited 32 of those over the the United States, um, we helped train the property owners what they needed to do. And multifamily, by the way, housing is very unique because it's covered by FHA, HUD, and the ADA. So we had to go in there and help them make those communities um, compliant or as best they could. And that was a really interesting project because the Department of Justice, you know, I mean, they finally— this construction company just ignored it. You know, they had warnings and uh, complaints against them, and they just said, we're going to build it this way, too bad. So, you know, you just don't want to make anybody angry that way, so they made an example out of them. And now multifamily construction has completely changed. We do a lot of work on those projects because it's, it's, it's an odd um, accessibility law. For instance, you don't have to have grab bars in the bathroom. You have to have blocks that you can put grab bars up, things of that sort. But huh. uh, Stri the, the small things. Yes. You know, you know, for, for we've we've kind of gone a long ways into this, and I, I hope folks really have a much better appreciation for how all this comes together and what you guys do. What's got you most fired up about looking into the future with what you're doing? Well, what has me most fired up is that we can really see true progress, and like I said. I'm going to probably tell you five, ten times, we've impacted 23 million people. Not because we're, you know, superstars or anything like that. It's just we're devoted and we're dedicated and we'd like to work with um, communities and restaurants and businesses. It's We're all in this together, you know, and and to be able to make a difference that way is, is pretty 
pretty incredible. Well, you know, I, I think it's kind of like most folks think, says, you know, when somebody has an accident, go, that'll never happen to me. Right. You know, and you go, you know, I'm not disabled. That's never going to happen to me. Yes. And in the reality, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think if you stick around long enough, you're going to show up. Yes, you are. One in six people today. That's another reason if you want to, if you let me just get off track oh, a little yeah. bit. We have this gigantic number of people, 47 million plus that have disabilities. They work, they earn money, they have disposable income of $175 million. So if you can't just get your head around, it's the right thing to do, turn it over. They're customers. You want to make your, you want to have, provide good customer service, make them happy. You can make money that way. You know, I, I, you know, as I put my hat on backwards, you know, I think about as a business person, you're going like, you know what? We cater to, we take care of, we value, we honor, right. and, and we're set up for you guys, you know, and we welcome your business. And, boy, I tell you, that becomes, the word gets out like a good restaurant. And there are families and friends and everything else. And that's, I mean, that's easy. Plus, you get tax credit. You'll get a tax deduction up to $15,000 if you're qualified small business to make accessibility changes. So, I mean, it doesn't, for a, like a restaurant or a small retail outlet or whatever, $15,000 will go a long way. We can teach you how to spend your money wisely too and prioritize what you need to fix. And then there are also other tax credits for other projects that are up to $25,000. There's a lot of reasons to do it economically and there's, there are a lot of reasons to do it ethically and morally, too. So it's for me, it's really easy. And it's an exciting, exciting company to be involved with because of their entrepreneurial spirit. These guys are a bunch of crazy people, but they work hard and they have that same compassion and drive. And we just want to help you. You know, I, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I do a fair amount of these, and it's I get to learn. And it's, it's the best part of doing the podcast and hear the story. You know, so with that, is there something I should have asked you that I didn't about what you're doing or what's coming? You know, as, I, as we talked about earlier, website accessibility, people don't even really consider that. Here, I'll let you in on a little secret. We're doing a redesign of the MTC website. And so, of course, we have to lead by example. It is a pain in the neck. It's difficult. I'm, I feel like saying, forget that banner. I can't make it accessible. But... That's important, too. That's the new frontier, social media and all that stuff. We have to embrace technology. You have to have accessible websites that work on your phone and everything. And that's one thing that I think will be the wave of the future because the Department of Justice is not hesitating in um, filing actions, even without standards, which is really remarkable. And the other thing is, is you've heard about it, the ADA. I don't like to use this word, but they call it the ADA drive-by lawsuits. And the reason they call it that is because if a person that has an attorney that has a disability or doesn't have a disability, you know, I mean, we can talk about that all day long. They can literally drive by through the parking lot and see that this, the accessible parking signs are the wrong height or the aisles are too narrow or whatever, and they can file a suit right then and there. And their attorney is going to try to convince that business owner who doesn't have a lot of money anyway to spend on stuff like that that if you give them ten or fifteen thousand dollars, then they'll go away. And a lot of times, they don't even follow up on that, um, the the thing that they sued on to make sure it got fixed. That is becoming a wave across America. And here's my perspective on that. You know, my first tip on how to avoid an ADA lawsuit: comply, make your your place accessible. And if you don't know how to do it, we can help you do it. And a lot of that's going to be free technical assistance. If you really want to get down into it and be a successful business owner that manages their risk and limits their liability for lawsuits, welcome people with disabilities. Get your bathrooms lined out. Um, we work for a lot of defense attorneys, and you know, a lot of people that might give them a bad taste in their mouth. We help defense attorneys um, address these lawsuits for a number of reasons. First of all, the owners, the business owners, whether it's a large nationwide chain or a little mom and pop restaurant or a retail store, they don't know where to turn. And so the defense attorneys will hire us to validate the allegations and to also make sure that uh, what the action that 
particular business is taking is not only going to comply with the ADA so they can address their lawsuit, but it also identifies a lot of stuff that the uh, the plaintiff never discovered. So the ultimate outcome of that, whether you work for the plaintiff or the defense attorney, is that whatever you do, you're improving accessibility. And that's what our goal is. I, I'm not in favor of people going out and filing 20 lawsuits with the same language and the same everything's boilerplate. Those attorneys are getting censured and uh, um, disciplined because of that, because it's not ethical. And there's some mystery behind it too, because there are no civil penalties for a person with a disability filing a lawsuit. They're not going to get $10,000 from the DOJ as an award or 20 or 50 or a million or whatever. They're not supposed to get any money, but they do get their attorney's fees. So, you know, I mean, the attorneys are going out there and they're, they're doing pretty good. Well, you know, I, I think about all of that and, and, you know, my sense of all of the discussion is be aware, be proactive. I mean, at a minimum, reach out, you know, you can go to the, the center Yes. at a minimum, you know, and if, if you want to take some proactive steps at a minimum, give you a call, give us a call, you know, and, 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 you know, do something. Right. Just, Get started. Yeah. We'll, we'll teach you what to do. And I'm not saying this out of a profit motive. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do. And call the ADA Center. I mean, yeah. we can point you in the right direction. If you don't have one dime to spend, that's okay. We'll still help you. I mean, that's our mission through the Rocky Mountain ADA Center. We're funded by um, Nidler and uh, HHS. That's what we have to do and train and research and figure out how we can improve accessibility and what um, areas are underserved or whatever as far as gaining accessibility, whether it's websites or whatever. Just give us a call. We can help you out. You know, you don't have to do anything about it. You can just go on your way or we can help you and teach you how to comply with the law and you're going to feel a lot better about yourself and your business. Well, you know, and, and from the business side of the house, you may gain some customers. That's right. That's a good thing. Well, Kent, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Sorry, I uh, got a little long-winded there. I just Absolutely not. I'm passionate and excited about this. Best job in the world. Great company. And it's for all the right reasons. Super. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet.